0: Hello and welcome to the Learning to Mum podcast, a podcast dedicated to talking all things being a mum and all things being a female. The latter I feel much more qualified to talk about. I'm passionate about the honest accounts, the raw reality and all the highs and lows that come with motherhood. So welcome to this podcast hosted by me, Kelly Beaumont. I'm so grateful to have you listening to me today. Enjoy. Enjoy. Hey, everybody, just checking in before this week's episode starts to do my kind of usual weekly check in of how things are going. I'm pleased to report that I'm much, much better than I was last week. Uh, it's been a particularly positive week. We've been really enjoying our weaning journey. We are just having the best time with Ophelia it feels like her personality is in such a an interesting place at the moment where she's really starting to kind of show who she is as a little girl and just a real joy to be around I mean don't get me wrong there's still hard points but this week has definitely been on the positive side and yeah it's just she's just been a joy to be around I said to my husband the other day when he got back from work I just feel like I've got a little pal now and I think particularly because of where we are with lockdown I'm feeling quite isolated when now that she's starting to get to that point where it feels like I'm spending my time with somebody as opposed to just keeping somebody alive, just feels like a real positive step in the right direction. So for anyone who's got babies younger than Ophelia, I know how it can feel in those early stages, that kind of just relentless giving (laughs) and of course you don't give to receive, but ultimately when your baby flashes you a smile or it's met with some response or you get a giggle or you know they watch what you're doing, that just kind of really makes up for any tough times. So for anyone else in a slightly earlier an earlier point than where I am, I know it can be really tricky. So make sure that you speak to people and also know that um, as they get older and more aware of what's happening, it's bloody brilliant. Bloody brilliant. I also just want to point out, and I haven't asked for my husband's permission on this as yet, but I'm recording it, ready to put it in, and if he says no, it might just lead to another disagreement, who can say? Um, Basically, Charles and I had a, how would I put it, it wasn't even an argument, because Charles and I don't really argue, we just kind of have discussions, but last Sunday, I was in quite a bad place with Ophie so like I said it was a mix and kind of there was down points but majority it was in a really positive place this week but last Sunday I was in a particularly bad place with Ophie I think she just wouldn't go down for her nap she just wanted to contact nap which is so rare for Ophelia she usually likes to sleep in her cot but yes this particular day she woke up from her lunchtime nap I think after about 20 minutes and just Wouldn't go back to sleep, would only contact NAP and didn't really want to nap on me. So I think in total she had about 30 minutes lunchtime sleep, barely had anything in the morning, and I just couldn't do anything. And I think sometimes once you've had a taste of freedom, if you will, and time to yourself, even if it's just to do things, not even just sit, but to just do things, it's so rubbish when it reverts back to not being able to do anything and it was just one of those days and Charles wasn't around and yeah I just exploded and we had a conversation later that evening where I basically said to Charles that I still feel like I'm her mum and you're a bit of an add-on like you step in every now and again and when you do it's almost like you're doing me a favour when actually it should be a 50-50 split you know we're fortunate enough that we're together as mum and dad and yes I understand that you're working but I'm starting to work as well and it'll be at a point where we're both working pretty much the same amount of hours and it has to be balanced and just because your working doesn't mean that the time that I'm having a failure at home is a breeze like you know how hard it can be just constant 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 and therefore taking her for a couple of hours or whatever that isn't doing me a favor that's taking the responsibility of being a dad like this is a 50 50 journey despite sometimes it feeling like it's a it's more than mother's responsibility I just feel very strongly about having a split of care when it comes to children and I get this is this is a very controversial topic because I think it's completely dependent on a your relationship b who does what work c how what kind of mother or father you want to be and what agreement you've reached but that's the point it needs to be an agreement between the partnership and if you're single but dad's still involved like what where is the agreement and how do you make sure that you both look after each other as well as looking after this baby and the thing with Charles and I just I know that whenever I raise something we'll have a conversation and it'll get better and that for me is what a partnership is it's not being afraid to call out when something feels wrong having an adult conversation about it and responding accordingly and then if things still a pretty crap then you've got grounds to raise it again but you can't sit on something you can't not talk about it and feel frustrated and that's what Charles and I do really well we have a conversation we deal with it and we move on I think what Charles had said to me was like I think because it got to the point that it did which is where I erupted it's because we weren't talking as much as we did like children put pressure on relationships you have very little time for one another That baby is constantly there unless somebody can look after them and given we're in a lockdown that's harder than it's ever been before so you you know your relationship is in contest with this little baby and the baby's always going to win so Charles said to me look if there's one thing that we need to do it's we need to sit at the dining table and eat our tea and have a conversation we've got into such a bad habit from when Ophelia was first born of just sitting in front of the tv and eating tea and watching you know watching eating tv did I just say that I don't know if I just said that obviously I don't eat tv watch tv whilst eating and obviously the tv is the background noise and you don't have a conversation so we have since like we've said the only time we'll sit on the sofa is pizza night we have like a pizza night every week which I look forward to I'm not gonna lie to you um but Every other night when we make tea, we'll sit at the table and we'll not take our phones to the table, we'll just chat. And it's been a game changer just talking. And yeah, nine times out of ten, it's about Ophelia, but that other ten percent, it's about us and it's about our upcoming house move or it's about how work's going. Oh gosh, you forget, don't you? You forget those little things that are absolutely necessary to maintain a healthy relationship because everything's under pressure everything you know your sex life isn't the same as it was because there's a tiny person there look if yours is by the way like kudos where you find time to to do it like gosh let me know um or don't don't let me know because I'm quite comfortable in where we're at, at the moment the with things um but if you are somebody that's kind of nodding along to this my goodness doesn't it put pressure on your relationship but Charles and I are good you know we had a good conversation about it we love each other very much and we're friends above anything else and we still fancy each other even though sometimes I mean I swear he wears the same outfit all of the time I swear I wear the same grotty leggings on the surfer all of the time rarely wash my hair like it is my it is amazing isn't it you can still fancy each other when you wear other pits but yeah we've got Vanna stepping in in due course to have Ophelia overnight so that we can um go to sleep (laughs) but yeah I think if you are somebody that's nodding along to this like yeah it's just what happens isn't it it's just what happens and the best thing that you can do is talk about it and also I asked Charles if he would be happy to come on the podcast at some point and talk about it from dad's perspective and of course he said yes because Charles loves to talk as much as I do so listen out for that coming up in due course as well so yeah I hope that everybody's doing well I hope that you've had a good week and if you haven't here's to a better week next time And I hope that you enjoy this week's episode that's going to be on the topic of entering the fourth trimester, specifically around feeding. And I should point out that this episode is a little bit here, there and everywhere. I have Ophelia in the first segment for about the first 10 minutes. So just know if that is distracting, it does come to an end before long. But the rest of it, yeah, you'll be able to hear moments where I pause moments where the sentence is a bit blur. it's just been one of those weeks where I've had to um I keep saying film record this over different kind of days and different points in the day so yeah hopefully it's not too distracting but it's the reality of being a mum so there we go I'm not going to apologize for it well I hope you enjoy it um yeah have a good one Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Learning to Mum podcast. This is episode five and is going to start exploring the fourth trimester. I am currently feeding Ophelia as we speak. She's having some breakfast, some baby porridge and mangoes. And typically, I like to record the podcast when she's napping. Um, but do you know what? Sometimes life just doesn't go that way and we're already on Wednesday, and this goes up at 7am on Friday morning, and I just worry that if I don't start recording today, it just won't happen in time, and if there's one thing that I want to do with the podcast, it's make sure that it goes out on time every week. So yeah, if you hear gurgling, if you hear screaming, if you hear laughing, whatever you may hear, just know that... There's a little human in the background eating some porridge with mangoes. So yes, today's episode, as I mentioned, is going to kind of start exploring the fourth trimester. Now, this is a huge, huge topic and was the key reason that I wanted to start the podcast because I had such a varied journey in this kind of section of motherhood, really, for for the most part I think it's fair to say that whilst there was definite you know highlights and I learned a lot about Earthy in that time for me I think I had a lot more down days than I'd maybe anticipated that I would and what's become quickly apparent speaking to other mums is it's not unique to me you know a lot of mums experience challenges in the fourth trimester because I think It's a huge adjustment period, isn't it? Not only for the little human that's coming to the world and trying to figure out not being attached to mum, you know, not having food on demand, not being continuously kept at the same temperature, um, you know, having to wear clothes, having to get a nappy changed, having to cry out for food, all of these different things that they're adjusted to. But equally, mum's adjusting too. You know, it's... I I don't know whether anybody else has felt like this, but I guess motherhood is something that I never felt truly prepared for. And despite, you know, reading and whatever else, I'm not sure that anything gives me a true account of what it is truly like. And arguably, you know, you never really could because everybody's experience is so different and so unique. But I suppose my commitment is to share my honest version of how I found every step of the journey. So because the fourth trimester is such a huge topic for me, it's going to be broken down into different topics and today I'm going to start with the topic of feeding. So moving from breastfeeding to combination to formula feeding, kind of everything that came with that and where we got to in the end and how I felt on that journey, how Ophelia adjusted on that journey and so on and so forth. Some of the other topics that I'm going to cover in the fourth trimester are going to be things such as physical recovery, so recovery from a vaginal birth, recovery from a cesarean section, recovery from if mum's had stitches, um, body contracting back to its more original size, Um, What I'm also going to do as part of the fourth trimester is speak to other mums who had different experiences to me. So an example there was somebody having a C-section. I had vaginal birth, so for me to talk about a C-section from my perspective is pretty impossible. So I think it's right that I invite other mums to have that conversation with. And I have my first guest lined up, which I cannot wait to do. We're going to record it soon. And then I'll drop it into the series as I see fit. Other topics are also kind of um, diet and exercise. So, (laughs) So for me, body image was a huge, huge part of postpartum. I knew that my body would change. And I guess because I'd always been somebody who was relatively fit and healthy I thought you know things will just snap back I'll just snap back and when I didn't just snap back I think for me again that was learning to love this new body that I had and you know so many people talk about stretch marks and you know these are my what is it like tiger stripes from having my little little lion or little lioness and um that doesn't even make sense, is it tiger and lion? But then um, you get my point. <laughs> and I've just never had that relationship with my changing body. I'm fully aware of what it's done and what it's produced. And maybe it's just me not being kind enough to myself. But I look in the mirror some days and I think, I don't want that wrinkly stretch mark on my bottom. I don't want my belly to be a little bit more pouch like than it once was. And I think having an open dialogue around the changes that happen to your body and what that means is also really really important because it can really add to the mental health of a new mum all of these things contribute to how a mum recovers and for me that was something that yeah I just hadn't prepared for and in reality I'm still not completely confident that I have a really good relationship with so I'm going to talk about that um other things like the continuation of baby blues and kind of mental recovery, and then into topics like learning to mum, so <laughs> how you adjust your sleep, how you learn to wean your baby, and the different poops that happen in those early days, and what do they mean, and um, terms such as brick dust and seeing like a ready powdery substance in my baby's nappy and thinking is she bleeding where is she bleeding from and then learning that that's completely normal so there's just many things that i want to cover within this kind of segment of the fourth trimester and i honestly don't know how many episodes it will cover if you can hear ophelia in the background and um, she sounds like she's in pain but she's genuinely enjoying her breakfast and um, and I think money and to have more. So I promise I'm not doing anything dodgy to her. <laughs> so... What is the fourth trimester? I think probably is a fair place to start because I don't know whether anybody else felt like this, but other mums would talk about the fourth trimester and I'd just kind of nod along and be like, hmm I thought there was only three trimesters in pregnancy. <laughs> just kind of not really having a clue what people were talking about. You know, I was 29 when I had Ophelia and I think I was just a little bit ignorant to babies and pregnancy. And I'm pretty adamant that I was never gonna have children. And so when I did fall pregnant I was a bit like mm, just going to go with it. So when people would talk about certain things I'd just kind of nod along and pretend I knew but had no idea. So the fourth trimester essentially is the period from um delivery of baby up until around about the 12 week mark. And I think typically it's referred to as the fourth trimester because ultimately Baby still feels as though they're very much part of mum. And although they're completely adjusting to this outside world, ultimately, you know, when baby's put down, when mum goes to the toilet or whatever else, baby cries because they're not used to being by themselves. It doesn't feel completely safe. And it can be such a huge time, as I mentioned, in terms of adjustment for both mum and baby, because baby wants to be connected to mum. Mum's had nine months of baby connected to her and just wants five minutes to herself. And often it feels like the reprieve is minimal to non-existent. And what I think is also right to point out is a continuation of last week's episode. So I spoke about the baby blues and kind of stopped it around about day 10. Now, that isn't because baby blues suddenly stopped for me at that point. It's because it got Really, really bad um, at around about day 10 for me, and it felt like a good place for me to kind of just pause. Now, baby blues can last up to six to eight weeks typically, so from around about day three, it varies for everybody, sometimes it can be less, and sometimes it can be a little bit more. For me, I'd say it lasted for around about 10 weeks but typically somewhere in the region of six to eight weeks. And that doesn't mean that every day is rubbish. It just means that that continuation of feeling like you're not on top of the world or that you're adjusted to this can last for that period of time. Um, And as I said last week, because baby blues can affect eight to 10 new mums, it's just a huge, huge topic that I think is important to continue to cover so i will continue to kind of dip into the theme of baby blues and all the topics of the fourth trimester will kind of weave that in into some form or another i'm not going to touch on in this episode but i just want to highlight at this point that also it can be a real kind of um catalyst for postnatal depression as well and i've been doing a lot of work on the um on the topic of pnd because i really want to understand it in more detail Not because I necessarily think that I went through it, but I just know, you know, a good number of mums that do. And when you start to read the stats surrounding postnatal depression, you realise that it is a huge contributor to how mums adjust to their new life. So I will touch on the topic of PND in a future episode. But right now, it doesn't feel right to include it because obviously this is my experience of it, of um, the fourth trimester the other thing that i just want to point out at this at this kind of um point as well is something which is referred to as the pinks and i think i probably should have dropped it in last week so the pinks are typically <laughs> typically those first 3 days of um being a mum essentially and <laughs> yes are you very excited? Are you very excited? If, if it gets too um, too loud, I will hit pause in a minute and come back to it, because I don't want it to be a huge distraction. And I think it might end up turning into, yes? No? Yeah, so the pinks are typically from delivery of baby up until around about day three. And it's where mum can feel fairly euphoric, essentially. You know, they look at this little bundle that they have delivered and just feel completely smitten. For me, that didn't happen, as I mentioned in my birth kind of story. And that also is completely normal. So it can really go one way or another for new mums. But for those who go through the pinks, when baby blues hits at day three, if it does for them it can feel like a huge crash. And the reason that baby blues usually hits around day three, I mentioned the drop in hormones. So um, oestrogen and progesterone are a huge drop, but also typically mum doesn't sleep in those first few days, either because they can't or because they don't really want to, you know, they want to kind of soak up all of this kind of newborn love. And mine was that I just couldn't sleep. (laughs) And then day three, the kind of fatigue kicks in, hence Baby Blues typically starts around that point. Okay, I'm going to pause at this point because I want to make sure that I give you all um, the attention that I think the topic deserves. So I'm just going to pause. I hope this first segment hasn't been too distracting. But look, it's it's never going to be pristine. I am a mum to a six-month-old baby and trying to juggle everything. So... Hopefully you all understand that and I'm going to hit pause and give Ophie a little bit of attention because while she's enjoying breakfast, um, she does like me to kind of interact with her while she does. So I'll pop back soon to kind of continue from the pinks and on to feeding. Hello everybody, I'm back. It's now much later in the day and Ophelia is down for her lunchtime nap. So I will quickly summarise what I was talking about and then I'll move into the topic of feeding. So I guess what I was trying to conclude is that different people will feel different emotions on the arrival of baby. Some will experience what is referred to as the pinks and feel this heightened sense of joy. Others like myself, may feel very little, not connected to baby, and that's also very normal. Those first few days often are the most sleep deprived because either you're too excited to go to sleep, you just want to soak up all this new baby joy, or you just can't sleep because obviously baby requires ongoing care and attention. And typically around day three, once the fatigue has really kind of kicked in and hormone levels start dropping significantly, that's when baby blues can start to rear its head. On average, it can last up to six to eight weeks. And the important thing to remember is that we're not saying that every day is really rubbish and you feel crap all the time. What we're saying is there are moments where you just feel maybe Really down that your new kind of life is full of responsibility and full of focus of this little person and very little time for you. And all of those things are completely common to feel. And all I would say to anybody who is going into that or thinking about having children, please just know that after that period of time or around the kind of six to eight week marks, if things don't start to get back to normal then it's important to kind of look at what other things may be happening. It might be that you're just still adjusting, whereas for other people, it can develop into more serious conditions. And again, I'm going to talk about that in future episodes. Lastly, I just want to summarise by saying please don't fear it. Talking about it raises awareness and it sets people up to understand what might be presented to them. It's not inevitable that everybody f- will feel the same way, and some people may move through the period of baby blues relatively quickly. And two out of ten people typically don't experience it. So please, please don't worry about it. Equally, if you do enter baby blues, know that there are good days and there are harder days. And just like anything with a newborn baby, nothing lasts. Everything is a moment in time. And every everything that I've ever said to myself in those, you know, those harder times, uh, this too shall pass. Baby's development happens so, so quickly. And typically when you've had a bad day, it means that some key development is happening to your baby. And the next day something magical happens they learn to smile and give you something back those connections start to build and everything just becomes more enjoyable so wherever you are in your journey just know that motherhood is an absolute roller coaster but there are always better days to come in those moments where you feel that you're having a really tough time and just know you're not alone okay so fourth trimester Let's talk about feeding. Okay, so if we rewind to before Ophelia was born, I had always kind of made my mind up that I wanted to give breastfeeding a go. I'd done a good amount of research, read the guidance that the midwife had given to me via the NHS, kind of looked online, and then I read a book called Milk It, which I found really, really insightful, actually. It's written by somebody who's had a range of experiences when it comes to breastfeeding. And her kind of mission is to talk about breastfeeding, what's and all, so that people feel informed and understand how to latch their baby on. Um, she talks a lot about cluster feeding and, so on and so forth and I just found it a really kind of easy kind of dip in, dip in dip out book to help equip me with the knowledge around breastfeeding Um, I'll reference the book in the notes for the podcast so that you can have a look if you're interested and then I also spoke to a lot of mummies who had tried breastfeeding in the past some that are really pro-breastfeeding and others that perhaps gave it a go in found that it wasn't for them so I really felt like I'd done my homework if you will in regards to wanting to really give it my best shot and I think also it was maybe encouraged from the midwife's point of view it certainly formed you know several conversations I did NCT which again is to kind of help prepare you for the arrival of baby and we had a breastfeeding specialist come in and talk in a session as well. Now, I thought that she had a really balanced approach to feeding generally. She didn't make the session purely about breastfeeding. It was kind of a whole host of things in relation to just generally feeding your baby. But again, you know, she was a breastfeeding specialist, and it was very much kind of centralised towards breastfeeding. So I guess everything that I ever knew about feeding, it all kind of started with giving breastfeeding a go and I had no reason to not want to try but I kept telling myself and to anybody who would listen that I never said I am going to breastfeed I always said I'm going to give breastfeeding a go because I don't think we can underestimate the challenge that breastfeeding can bring it's something that If you're a new mum, you've you've never done it before, your baby's never done it before, and to assume that it'll, you know, be like a duck to water, I think is maybe quite naive in a lot of circumstances. And I'm glad that I got myself in a headspace that kind of reassured myself that if it didn't work out, that's okay too. So yeah, got, got myself kind of in the knowledge. I think the other thing that I just want to point out as well. As I felt like my body was telling me to give breastfeeding a go. Um, I started to leak from around 20 weeks of pregnancy. It was an absolute shock. I'm just so glad, in hindsight, that I spent a lot of my pregnancy um, in lockdown because I think about these moments and, like, I can't imagine being sat in a work meeting in the office and just suddenly <laughs> collected <laughs> um, but yes, so from about 20 weeks pregnant, I started to leak. Um, So, I, yeah, I, I felt like my body was kind of showing me that it was wanting to feed. And that, that kind of continued. You know, I never stopped leaking, if you will. And it just became more and more the closer to Ophelia's arrival. And... Yeah, so when she was here, when she was delivered, as I mentioned, we didn't try and latch on immediately, but we did do it, you know, fairly soon after she was born. And it's not the easiest thing in the world, getting your baby to latch on Blooming hard, and you can read all the manuals and you can watch all the videos when it comes to your boob in your baby's mouth. The shape of them is maybe quite different to what you've seen. So I would spend some time, I spent a lot of time kind of trying to wedge my boob into her mouth and get the positioning in. I think my best of my best success came from when I almost kind of started with the nipple towards her nose and kind of moved the nipple down towards the top of her mouth and it kind of forced her to or encouraged her, not forced her, encouraged her to open her mouth nice and wide to then effectively get the boob in her mouth. So I can't really talk about challenges around latching because despite it being tricky, I guess really I didn't have huge amount of problems with latching on. And my intention is to speak to another mum who perhaps did find this more challenging in addition to this I also was fortunate enough that I never suffered from cracked nipples or anything of that ilk I again because I feel that Ophelia latched really well I didn't go through any of that trauma which I think again you'll see how for me that made me feel more guilty about stepping away from breastfeeding when I made the decision to do so but I just want to give the kind of full context. So in the first 24 hours I wasn't completely convinced that I was successfully feeding Ophelia and one of the midwives that came around brought me like a syringe to effectively catch some of my it's not milk in those early stages is it? I think your milk comes in at around about day two or three. Um but yes to kind of draw that out and then put the syringe in Ophelia's mouth to make sure that she was getting it. Another midwife came around several hours later and absolutely poo-pooed that. So there was slightly conflicting views even in the space of a few hours between different midwives so I don't know what other people's experiences are with that but the syringe worked you know she took the the milk we're just going to call it milk for ease but we quickly moved away from the syringe to make sure that I could do it effectively so that when I was discharged from hospital I felt confident in making sure that she was fed so in the hospital what they like to do is make sure that baby has wet and dirty nappies that is a good indication that they're feeding in those early stages because there's very little other ways of making sure that that's happening and and they gave me like a sheet of paper to track how long Ophelia was feeding for and in turn how many kind of wet and dirty nappies she was having and they use that as almost kind of a mechanism to make sure that things are happening as they should so that when they discharge you they're confident that you are in a position to know what you're doing when it comes to feeding your baby. So hence that's another reason that I would just really encourage you to stay in hospital particularly if you are thinking of giving breastfeeding a go. So yeah I think there's not much to say about those first few days other than it's (laughs) It was relentless, absolutely relentless. Ophelia fed for long, long periods of time, and had very little reprieve. What's important to know, and again, I'm just going to share all of this because I guess these are things that I, you know, I wasn't aware of. So I think if I can impart this knowledge on other for other people that might not be as sure, then I'm doing something good. So, because baby is so little obviously the size of their stomach is so small so they in effect fill up relatively quickly but also that means that the nutrients and whatever they get is also used up fairly quickly so they'll need refilling again before long and that's just something to be aware of when you if you think gosh my baby's feeding like so frequently are they not getting enough chances are then they probably are but they just need more and more and more and more and more (laughs) so yes a continuation of feeding um particularly with breast milk because the the um what's the word that I'm looking for not the dilution but the consistency of breast milk and what it's made up of is completely dependent on your baby's needs so if it's a particularly hot day your breast milk will be more watery to accommodate the fact that your baby needs um, hydration so whereas formula is obviously a set consistency which means that sometimes there's a belief that it can fill babies up for longer periods of time so typically breastfed babies need to be fuelled slightly more frequently that's what's said and that's my experience so I'm just again sharing that with you all but anyway let's not dive into formula feeding at the moment because this is still breastfeeding territory so um so I think because I'd done my reading I'd set my expectations quite well in terms of those first few days as to how frequently I would need to be feeding Ophelia. Maybe not quite prepared for how long each feed would last but I think that combined with the fact that you know I was in an okay position in terms of sleep in the lead up to delivery. I just think those first few days were were manageable but what became fairly apparent to me quite soon after that, was the responsibility on my shoulders as her mum. When babies are breastfed, typically up until the point you start to express your milk, if that's what you choose to do, everything is mum's responsibility. So every time baby wants to feed, whether that's first thing on the morning, last thing at night, the early hours of the morning, midnight whenever that is it's mum that needs to be awake and functioning and feeding and typically that means also settling baby and I think just that sudden realisation that I couldn't leave Ophelia even if it was to just go for a walk by myself because she might need feeding And you're still really establishing your baby's routine in those early days. I mean, there isn't a routine, it's feed on demand. And I think the more that I started to realise that I couldn't do anything for me, really, that's how it felt. I felt like I was bound to her. I just started to get into a really negative headspace around feeding. Um, And obviously feeding was the thing that typically contributes to sleep deprivation because babies wake up to be fed and when you're breastfeeding you need to be awake to do that I never got into the um and I, I was never able to kind of do the half awake feeds where you're still lying down with baby I don't my boobs just aren't big enough <laughs> to accommodate getting them into the right position but it just didn't ever work like that for me so yeah that overbearing responsibility kind of started to kick in um, in addition to that the length of time that each thing would do so I'd gone from being a really active and um, liking to get things done being in control type individual and because to slow down and I think that it just didn't work for me just sitting in front of the tv you know people would say Read a Kindle, watch TV, just chill out, just you know, just enjoy the fact that you've got this time with your baby. But I just never could. I always saw feeding as a chore. Every time she would, you know, cry out for more, it was always an inconvenience. I would always be wanting to do something, whether it be go to the toilet, whether it be go for a shower, I don't know whether it would be to wash up some pots, just some semblance of normality and I couldn't because I felt that I needed to respond to her cries almost immediately and I just couldn't get myself into a headspace of putting something on the TV and just soaking it up and I suppose I look back now and I wonder why I struggled with that so much you know taking life a little bit steadier because I think pre- that thinking oh you know you can just sit in front of the tv and you know your nice warm house and soak up all that newborn life you know I I think in my head that sounds bliss but when it came to that being my reality it just yeah it just didn't work for me I think I felt like I couldn't drink a cup of tea because I didn't want to have a hot drink over her head and I'd guzzle a bottle of water because I was getting so dehydrated in terms of feeding her gosh the dehydration is another level when you're breastfeeding in those early days Um, I felt like I couldn't eat because I needed to hold her in position you know we were still establishing how to effectively breastfeed and you've never held a baby like that continuously everything just felt really out of place for me and I just felt like I was completely out of sync with how I am as a person and I just lost a sense of who I was Um, and I just I don't think I ever soaked up the wonder of what I was doing you know that my body was keeping her alive not only had it done that for the past nine months now she was here and functioning and breathing by herself it was still my body that was giving her the nutrients she needed to survive the sustenance she needed I just never married that up and I never you know congratulated or appreciated my body for what it was doing yeah it, it's a really it's really sad looking back and kind of reflecting on it honestly but I just know that I just didn't ever have a healthy relationship with breastfeeding and I really feel like I tried to set myself up for success but it just when it came to doing it just didn't happen Um. So I continued, continued, continued this this whole relationship with breastfeeding, this feeding on demand, um, feeding for really long periods of time. Typically a Ophelia, feed Ophelia's feeds were average between an hour and two hours at a time. I would keep a log in my phone to make sure that I was alternating my boobs because you think you'll remember which boob you last fed on, you don't remember which boob you last fed on at all. Everything goes to mush. And I would put in the time that I started feeding and the time that I finished feeding. And I'd look back through my notes and I would just be so sad looking at it. And I'd tot up the amount of hours that I would have spent feeding during the day and night. And it just used to break my heart. There was nothing healthy about what I was doing other than making sure that I could see what Ophelia's typical routine was. I was starting to get my head around, okay, so if I know that this is how long she fed for yesterday, I can put myself in the right frame of mind for that relentless task today. But it just, yeah, that just didn't work. So I'm not sure that I would recommend that to myself other than just keeping a log of which boob to put her on. <laughs> um, So that continued for weeks and weeks and weeks, and I was in a really bad really really bad headspace um I would speak to my husband about how much I was not enjoying it how disconnected I felt from Ophelia I thought that if I was breastfeeding her I'd look down and I'd be in wonder and I'd be in awe of what I was doing and in wonder of her and just never happened It just yeah it just never happened If anything, I felt that the breastfeeding was contributing to the fact that I was feeling crap. But I never kind of connected everything together in those early stages. I just thought I was failing as a mum because I didn't feel this this besotted connection with my tiny person. So it got to around about week I want to say week seven and we were able to meet people at this point some of the restrictions had been lifted in terms of coronavirus and I've gone to meet my two friends Kat and Claire we went for some lunch and I drove there and the seat belt was kind of pressing on my boobs and I just felt slightly uncomfortable wasn't really sure why um and thought, right, when we pull up, I'm going to feed Ophelia on the boob. I think it was, which boob was it? I want to say my right-hand side. Either way, right, I'll feed Ophelia on the boob. Clearly, it's just really full, and it needs emptying, and, and that's, that's why you keep a track of which boob to feed on. You want to kind of balance it out as best you can so that no boob becomes overly full um so yes fed her on that boob and thought "Oh, that'll do it's still sore but it'll be fine we had lunch it was okay but then it kind of got to the end and I thought I feel a bit crap actually I'm starting to feel a bit rubbish and on the drive home I think I'd driven about 30 minutes to get to where we need to get to on the drive home I just started feeling vile like absolutely vile typical kind of um I was warm but I was feeling cold just starting to kind of show these flu-like symptoms and I got home and I just remember wanting to just curl up in a ball and go to bed and looking at Ophelia and thinking I can't even do that I can't even be pearly because I need to feed her and at the time I didn't know what was wrong with me I just knew that I didn't feel very well um so oh I, what i should mention at this point as well is i was unable to express my milk but what my boobs did do is when i this is really glamorous by the way this is top glamour and um, when i would feed on one boob my other boob would leak so what you can do if you're one of those mummies that if, i think it's i think it's really lucky that this happened I felt really fortunate this happened because I really struggled to express but I was able to use like a cup there's like special cups you can get you put it in your bra and you can collect the milk from the other boob whilst your other milk is being used by baby and then you can collect that store it in the fridge and use the bottle and we did that from quite early on as early as I kind of realized that that was a legitimate thing that I could do So it meant that Charles could give her the odd bottle. And I just want to put that in because it kind of comes back round to that later in the story, the story, (laughs) my reality. Um, So I just want to pop that in there. But yes, came home, realised that there wasn't much reprieve. Charles could give her some of my stored milk, but obviously that wasn't an endless supply. So we were kind of doing that um, and, you know, doing that moderately and, to collect more milk that meant that I had to feed um and my boob was just getting sore and sore and sore and I thought maybe this is more than just the flu I didn't think for a second that there would be anything wrong with my boobs but then I googled mastitis and yeah. I had every symptom under the sun of mastitis and I just wanted to cry because I thought, I know what this can manifest into. And it did. I mean, it was unbearable. I cannot explain to you what mastitis feels like. You just can't bear the thought of anyone touching that area at all. I mean, even the faintest little um, fingertip touch is just unbearable but you know that the only way to clear the blockage is to have baby feed on that boob as frequently as possible and I think that is the most torturous <laughs> like I just think oh my gosh like what the heck and um, so I realized that it was mastitis having kind of done my homework and I tried a hot bath to relieve um, the blockage and kind of massaging it and things like that. I rang the doctors to get a doctor's appointment and I think I was number 32 in the queue to speak to a receptionist. When I got through to a receptionist the earliest that they said that they could see me was I think Friday and it was a Monday or Tuesday and I was like I don't sorry What I was saying is that I just couldn't envisage waiting that length of time. Like, I was just in so much pain from the mastitis. So I had a bit of a mini meltdown on the phone. I basically said, I physically don't feel like I can lift up my baby to feed her. How am I supposed to do it? And it just, yeah, I just remember feeling like I was met with quite a lot of resistance. And... I totally understand the pressure that the NHS and doctor surgeries are under but it just felt like I was kind of hitting my head against a brick wall despite needing care really to get into a position where I felt better or at least that it was being kind of taken seriously. Um, But I wasn't getting anywhere on the call so I just kind of hung up and continued with things like Um, the warm bath standing in the shower and trying to kind of massage the area I used cold cabbage leaves and let me tell you that just felt amazing like initially it made me feel sick and I did smell like (laughs) an allotment but yeah um, it definitely relieved some of the pain and then it got to later in the evening I just couldn't deal with it anymore, so I ended up ringing, um, one one one. And because it's out of hours, the process is different. And basically, one 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 got a nurse to call me back. I think within the hour, and because I was showing flu-like symptoms associated with the mastitis, they issued me a course of antibiotics, which could be picked up pretty much immediately, um, and it just felt like it was being taken seriously uh so I didn't go pick up the antibiotics I think Charles did later on in that evening but obviously antibiotics don't kind of kick in straight away so I was dealing with the pain um and I said to my mum I just this just feels like it's a bit of a, a end point for me but I don't want to I, I don't want to accept it as an end point point." Just, I'm not even entirely sure why I was being so stubborn about it, but Mum was like, "I really need you to just think about like your mental health, like you, you're physically in pain." And I was like, "Yeah, but I don't want to end it just because I'm in pain. I want to end it or come, you know, think about combination feeding because it's right, not just because I'm dealing with a bout of pain." And that night, Earthy if you woke up for one of her feeds. And I'd read somewhere that one of the best ways to clear the blockage was to effectively get on all fours and dangle feed. And that is basically what it sounds like, dangle the boob into her mouth or into their mouth, basically be on all fours on top of them. And it was at that point that I just, I think I just burst into tears, I was just literally like (laughs) straddled over on the bed trying to feed with not the biggest boobs in the world so literally having to crouch right down in agony uh, with no real strength in my arms or legs because (laughs) I'd not done working out for such a long time I was just awful and I just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed, and just thought this just can't be right. This just doesn't feel right for me. I just don't get any enjoyment out of this at all. And I woke up the next day and I just made the decision that something needed to change. So me and Charles had a conversation around combination feeding, so introducing formula. Um I think both him and my mum were so relieved that I'd decided that I wanted to move towards more kind of combination feeding because I don't think anyone can tell you what's right can they you know people can observe from a distance and ask questions and be curious and offer some recommendations but at the end of the day the only decision really is down to mum and what's right for baby I truly believe that you know it has to be right for mum because if it isn't, then I think there's always this element of, well, I didn't, you know, I didn't think that that was right for the baby. So you kind of live with this, I don't know, this regret or blame on somebody else if it doesn't work out. And I just, yeah, I'm a headstrong person. And I think my mum and my husband both wanted me to reach my own conclusion when it was right. But obviously, watching me get to that point is painful, because I was in pain, I was upset. I just wasn't having a good time of it. And for whatever reason, I fought it so much. I fought feeling so crap, I think, because, like I said, I'd done all of my homework in terms of breastfeeding, but it just wasn't working for me. I just couldn't get this connection. And I just didn't feel anything apart from negativity. It was bizarre, absolutely bizarre. So we did our homework on um, formula feeding it just feels like a minefield when you've never done it before you know at least with the boob you can kind of effectively once you know what you're doing you put the boob in the mouth they feed and we're on to a winner but when it comes to formula obviously there's so many different brands out there there's so many different options and um, sterilizing bottles uh, right making things at the right temperature it just felt like such a minefield but because we'd been using bottles before because of me collecting milk we already had bottles in she already tucked the bottle because we started it you know when she was relatively young giving her that kind of um we'll call it express milk so she was familiar with using a bottle which worked in our favor and we were also kind of sterilizing so we had that up and running and we made the decision to purchase the perfect prep machine from tommy tippy we stuck with our bottles which were the Bottles, instead of using the Tommy Tippy ones, I just she just preferred the ease of the Medela one so we stuck with them. And the perfect prep machine basically does what it says on the tin. You put the right amount of powder in based on how old they are, press a button, and it comes out at the perfect temperature. So yeah, we did that. We started with SMA milk, um because I had no idea what I was doing, I just knew that we wanted to feed her, and I fed her the bottle, (laughs) and I remember it so vividly, put the bottle in her mouth, and I just watched her guzzle, Whew! makes me a bit emotional thinking about it, and I just remember thinking, oh my god, (laughs) like, this, this is what it's been, I a lot of what I've been feeling in terms of my headspace and feeling rubbish has been because of breastfeeding and watching her drink from the bottle content looking kind of around I could make eye contact with her honestly the connection that I felt from bottle feeding her was just like unexplainable it was just incomparable to what I felt with breastfeeding it was just an an immediate realization that this was the right thing for me and because Ophelia responded so well to the formula milk it just reinforced that this was the right step forward for us and Charles came in and he was like um <laughs> you're crying and I was like I know it's because I feel like this is the right thing to do and oh yeah it was absolutely <clears throat> as I say the right move for us And gradually over time, we replaced breast milk with a formula feed at a time. So when you're looking to wean off breast milk, they tell you to kind of um, start with a certain feed, maybe the feed before bed. And then slowly kind of gradually take it away, because obviously, if you come to a complete stop, your boobs don't really know what's happening. And that can cause quite a lot of pain. Whereas if you do one feed at a time, it tells your body to kind of reduce the amount of milk that it's providing. Um, and it feels much more manageable and it certainly worked for me I didn't kind of suffer the same amount of pain and um, I feel like I jumped straight from mastitis to formula um, just to say that the mastitis did clear with a course of antibiotics it did take a few days and it felt like a lifetime but it did clear relatively quickly and um, be persistent if you do suffer mastitis if you do fall victim to mastitis because I have a friend who had mastitis and it wasn't I don't think they were issued a course about antibiotics and it just got progressively worse and resulting in surgery which you know this is again this isn't about scaring people it's about just acknowledging that these things can happen and you know your body better than anybody else so if you feel that you're meeting resistance and you're not getting the outcomes that you want it's important that you kind of push back and ask more questions and make sure that you're getting the right result for you. But yes, the, um, the antibiotics worked for me, uh, the mastitis cleared, I found light at the end of the tunnel by switching to formula and we continued that journey one feed at a time. Um, and I think for me, um, the <clears throat> view that I was still given elements of breastfeeding still felt really good you know I felt like I was giving her everything that she needed it was just all psychological it was just a big mess for me because even those reduced amount of breastfeeds I still just didn't enjoy them the only thing that kept me going was the knowledge that oh this feels like the right thing to do this feels like the right thing to do but it didn't feel like the right thing to do when we were doing it I just didn't enjoy it um so over time it happened more and more where we ended up being a 50 50 split of combination breast, and then the balance tipped in favor of formula and I didn't look back to be completely honest I didn't look back I saw that earthy was responding to it well um We didn't suffer constipation initially. I think because we were doing a blend, and steady kind of gradual move over, we didn't really get any constipation from it. And I mean, we did go through constipation, but it was much less down the line. And I think the worst constipation we got was when we started to introduce, uh, was it food? Yeah, I think it was introducing a little bit of baby porridge, but we'll come on to that in, in another episode. But yeah, but it just kind of gradually... Was more and more formula feed. And then I did a bit of homework because when I realized that the majority of her diet was formula milk, and um, I just, I suppose, again, this is me and how I felt. I wanted to make sure that I was kind of giving her what I perceived to be the best possible formula milk. And to be honest, a lot of them are the same like ingredients when you read what's on the back of the tin. Um, I know that I think. Like Aldi or Little, there's one that's the same ingredients as like Aptamil and things like that. So definitely, just do your homework and find what works for you. But for me, um, there's a brand called Kendamil, and I just really liked what they stood for, how long they've been doing formula milk, and um, their ingredients. They're organic, um, they're palm oil free, um, and it just. Yeah, Kendamill just felt like the right option for for me. So um, I purchased Kendamill. It smelled amazing when I was making it. It smelled like Horlicks. <laughs> it just felt like it, it smelled like really good stuff. Um, <clears throat> and when you kind of mix it up, it just felt like it didn't. It didn't leave as much like slime on the bottle. It just, I don't know. It just felt like maybe it was just me wanting to believe it, but looking at what the ingredients were and everything, it just felt like the right solution for us. So we stuck with Kendamil and have been on it ever since. And she, yeah, loves it. Absolutely loves it. We did a subscription. We ended up doing a subscription straight from the Kendamil website, so you can get numerous different tubs a month and you pay just for the tubs you don't pay for postage and packaging and we've just found a rhythm that works for us we also introduced um into the night feed because it was I think one of the things about breastfeeding is the kind of convenience of it and particularly in the middle of the night being able to just literally pull baby up to your chest and feed it's just yeah it was just so easy and that was the that was the last feed that I ended up dropping like nighttime feeds but I knew that I wanted to so for a while we were doing the perfect preps. So I was coming down making the bottle as soon as she started stirring going back upstairs waiting for her to properly wake and it was just a long drawn out kind of way of doing things and then one night I was just like well we have like pre-made bottles so like um you know like long life milk it's it's like that for baby milk in little bottles we were using that already for like when we're out and about for ease and I was like just gonna take one of these upstairs at night and decant that and have a little hot thermos of hot water just because to warm it up a little bit and yeah that's we've never looked back since doing that so don't have to leave the bedroom just as soon as she starts stirring decant the pre-made into her bottle and tip the hot water, out the flask, pop the bottle in there, get her ready and feed her. And I think I'm really fortunate because Ophelia has never really been that fussy about temperature. So it can be tepid, it can be bang on. She's just, yeah, she's just not that bothered. So I get that it might not work for everybody, but for us, that's just been the solution. So I barely have to wake up to feed her. So for me, it's not been a huge inconvenience by doing it that way. But I do totally understand why and people see such convenience with breast milk and breastfeeding. But I think it's just what works for you, isn't it? That's conclusively what I think is important to take from this. It's there's absolutely no prescriptive way of feeding your baby. And I've spoken to mums who've breastfed for years, I've spoken to mums that have breastfed for a week. I've spoken to mums that didn't even entertain the idea of breastfeeding. And if there's one thing with motherhood that you have to kind of accept it's that judgment of anybody else's way of doing things is just irrelevant because ultimately it's that whole concept of happy mum happy baby isn't it that whilst you can do everything in your power to make your baby happy if it's at the expense of making you unhappy for whatever reason you have to question whether that's also right and obviously the The priority is doing right by baby but if feeding your if 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 the dilemma is feeding your baby formula or breast milk well they both keep your baby alive both babies will grow into strong healthy little cherubs like I just think there are far far worse decisions to be made out there and however you choose to keep your baby alive in terms of the assistance you give them I just think there's there's no judgment that can be made like do what's right for you do what's right for your baby and be really confident in the decisions that you make and if at any point you feel that your own kind of mental health is coming into question that's the time to really step back and really observe why that is my only regret is that I left it longer than I should have done persevering with breastfeeding like honestly I look back now and my my comment is oh I wish I'd stuck at it a bit longer or I'm glad that I went until when I did my reflection on myself is why were you a stubborn cow like what what were you trying to prove who were you trying to prove it to and why the heck did you just not accept what you knew was true and I'm frustrated with myself that in the moment I couldn't recognize that and differentiate between what was me just being, I don't know, judgmental of myself versus what I knew was the right thing to do. But hey, hindsight's a wonderful thing, and I'm sure there's many things that will have happened like that, and many things yet to come where I'll question my integrity. I think that is an absolute like constant feature of being a mum. But hey, she's fit and healthy and very chubby and very happy and she got there by firstly starting with breast milk, going onto combination, and then moving on to full formula. So I think whatever journey works. And now she's weaning, and we're having a great time of it, if not a messy time of it. But I will talk about weaning in a future episode of the podcast. I hope me talking through my feeding journey has been useful for anybody who's on that journey at the moment I hope that you're finding your rhythm and what works for you and your baby if you've done it and you can kind of relate to this whether it's to agree or whether it's that you've got a different journey great there's so many iterations of it and if you're yet to enter the world of feeding just try to recognize whether you're enjoying it or not and just look at everything you know don't just look at one piece of evidence look at the whole kind of makeup of feed in and navigate what's best for you and ask for help and ask for guidance and be confident in the decisions that you make because if you're confident nobody can question it I, I think that that's a fair thing to say um and I hope as well kind of diving into the topic of the fourth trimester knowing that it's going to be such a big one that I'm going to go through I hope that you're looking forward to what's coming up and some of the topics that we're going to cover and obviously I listed a few of them at the start of this episode and I'm sure that that will just continue to evolve I think when you start going through your back catalogue of what you went through other things start coming out of the woodwork don't you, you think gosh yeah I remember that being a a big trigger or I remember really enjoying that part about the fourth trimester that was a real kind of shining beacon of light when I felt you know a bit rubbish from time to time so yeah I'm looking forward to sharing more with you and also looking forward to having my first guest on the podcast it may be that it's next week's episode I think I just want to navigate around how that conversation goes there's no prescriptive viewers to what I want to get out of that episode I want it to be a real kind of authentic discussion so once we've recorded it which will be on the which will be tomorrow when this podcast goes out um, we'll review it and we'll work out whether it's next week's episode or a future episode so yeah looking forward to that and lastly I apologize if this has been a little bit kind of here there and everywhere and it's probably gone from being quite loud to being quite quiet I've had to film the film this I've had to record this like so stop start it's just been one of those weeks where I've had to record a little bit here and a little bit there but as I've mentioned like that's just how it is that's just being a mum and I can't really avoid that like it's just the reality of it so I hope it hasn't been too distracting and you've still managed to kind of stick until the end and have a good kind of listen to everything but yeah thank you very much and I will see you in next week's episode thanks for listening and have a good week bye Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Learning to Mum podcast. I really hope you found this episode somewhat useful and I look forward to seeing you in the next one. Have a good week. Bye.